Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey folks, this is Jason Lewis, the producer of the From the Shadows podcast. I just want to remind you about our website, fromtheshadowspodcast.com. We have a Facebook page. We would appreciate it if you like and follow. Also, join our discussion group on Facebook called After the Shadows. We have a Twitter feed. Please follow us on Twitter. It can be found with at podcast underscore from. Follow us on Instagram at From the Shadows Podcast. We have a YouTube channel. Go to the search bar on YouTube and put From the Shadows Podcast and please subscribe to that channel. We are also on the Odyssey Radio Network and we can be found there at odyssey1.com. We're still on the traditional podcatchers that everybody loves to listen to us on. We get a lot of feedback, so please rate the podcast and communicate with uh, whether you're on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or Google Podcasts. We're there, and we appreciate it when you leave comments for us. We also have a Patreon page. It can be found at www patreon.com forward slash from the shadows you can receive books stickers coffee mugs and special content just for our patreon subscribers check it out for yourself and see what packages that we have to offer well that's all i have for you right now folks and thanks for being a part of the from the shadows podcast family so with that being said let's get this episode started Hey everyone, and welcome to this episode of From the Shadows Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Grove, and deep in the bowels of the From parts the Sh- Unknown. Parts Unknown of the From the Shadows studio is with me is the judge. What's up, Judge? Hey, I'm awesome. I'm glad to be here. You're awesome. You're glad. Well, I tell you, I was I was sick there for about a month and now i am So you're feeling good. Oh, I feel strong like bull. Strong like bull. Okay. I do. All right. And speaking of bull. Jason, the producer, is with us. What's Greetings, up? everybody. You can't pay attention to what your host is saying half of the time. Only get him a quarter of the time. Look, some people don't pay any attention to what the host is saying. True, true. And some and people may be a little bit of foreshadowing, but there's going to be some serious funk groove going on. Oh, oh, oh. All indeed, right. indeed. So, uh, so joining us on today's episode is a very, very, probably one of our most accomplished Guests, I would say, as far as researching. Well, uh, I would say based upon his curriculum vitae, I would say he has uh, an unbelievable amount of experience in such a diverse background of the supernatural, the paranormal. I mean, you name it, he can talk about it, which is rare. I mean, a lot of we got look, we got a lot of great guests who have specialized knowledge, but. I think Christopher, he's he may be the the cherry on top of this Sunday when it comes to asking me anything. Okay, well, with that introduction, I put a lot of pressure on. He him. may want to hang up. So, <laughs> so, so joining us is 
Christopher O'Brien. Christopher, how are you doing today? Hey, hey, how, I'm waiting for two feet of snow here tonight. Ooh, oh, boy. Yes. We, we feel I'm, for you. It's just going to miss well, us here in Ohio. Well, it's uh, it's got, uh, we're center of the bullseye here on top of Tillman Hill, which is the highest point in the county. And, uh, you know, we can have an inch or two of snow up here and, we go down to the bottom of our driveway and it's rain. So uh, we're, we're hoping. So, so tell uh, our listeners where you're at. I'm, I'm on the southern tier just over the border of Pennsylvania in New York. Um, we're about at 45 minutes uh, west of Binghamton and uh, about two hours from the Ohio border. Uh, right, right above the border with, uh, you know, between New York and Pennsylvania, it's called the Southern Tier. Um, we are going to get slammed tonight, and it's going to be, you know, cool. I like snow. I, of course, I, I lived many years in Colorado, and I've um, seen my share of snowfall. <laughs> I've waited for uh, snow plows to come and uh, rescue me, and. You know, give me a, a way to get to the next town. Um, so it's not that big of a deal. But, uh, you know, it's that time of year, you know. This is old you know, hat for you, man. This gran- is not grandmother's fourteen inch grandmother's I'm house sure you we get go. Shovel out, do you? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, yeah, well, being yeah. snowed in, being in places where you get that much snow, it affords you a lot of time to – that's why you've written so many uh, – so many books, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Did well, you? that's uh, yeah. Good point. Uh, no one's ever, ever actually uh, thought about that. But yeah, this this is the time of year when I do most of my writing. Uh, of course, during the warmer months, I'm I'm out and about doing you know investigative work and research. And I was a tour guide for many years out of Sedona, Arizona. I I'm one of the few people you'll ever meet that has been to. Grand Canyon National Monument uh, National Park uh, almost 600 times. Uh, I uh, did quite a bit of uh, exploring around the Four Corners region and um, spent 13 years in Colorado San Luis Valley, uh, probably our our <laughs> our paranormal Disneyland uh, for the for the continent. And uh, you know, I spent. Uh, Quite a bit of time, logging a lot of miles on my truck, 300,000 uh, in six years. And, um, you know, wrote three books about my investigative work and then have gone on to uh, broaden my horizons and and uh, look at things uh, from all, all sorts of perspectives. <laughs> you make a great guess because, you know, we we named our podcast From the Shadows. Because, you know, we, we believe there's a lot of things in the shadows, and we like to bring them to light. Um, but what a cool life that you must have. I, you know, yep. we had Nick Redfern on here, and, and Nick wrote a book. Him and two guys uh, wrote, wrote a book. Nick's there. written 51 books. Yeah. He wrote, a, he wrote yeah. one particular book. We only about, talked about one. We yeah. only talked about one. Um, but he wrote this book about him and two buddies. They, they drove all over the country uh, in an RV Right. investigating different, you know, paranormal hotspots, more cryptozoology yeah. than anything. Yeah, yeah. But I thought, yeah. what what an awesome life that you could just drive around and go to pubs. Yeah. And Nick, I think, is 
enjoy the next, spirits, if oh, you know what I mean, yeah, and not yeah. the ones that go oh, yeah. to the oh, bench. Yeah. But, yeah, but what yeah. an awesome thing. So, so you know, I'm a little jealous and, and envious of you that, you know, we have a passion for the, you know, for the material, that, that you've got a life that you get to go out and do investigatory work on a regular basis and go to places that, you know, people who are listening to our show have never been, would love to go. I've never even been to the Grand Canyon. Flew over it. Doesn't count. But <laughs> but so so tell us this. Let's start off with how on earth did you get the ability to do this? I mean, there's probably there, look. There's most of our listeners say I'd love to do that, but you know how, how do well, you do it? I got a, I got a job. I got to pay my mortgage. Well, how yeah. Happen? How tell did me you about lead it. a charmed life is the question. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, let's put it this way. I uh, um, I imbibed in evening extenders uh, when it was, you know, absolutely necessary. I mean, I could not have done uh, some of the investigative work that I did without the help of cocaine. Uh, and and that was just for driving to get myself hundreds and hundreds of miles back to where I needed to be. I think Rick and James that, would agree with you on that. Point. Yeah, Rick James. Well, you know, in terms of going out and talking to ranchers and and doing investigative work and all that, you know, all the hard nuts and bolts stuff. um, No, I was not uh, on any sort of, you know, substances or alcohol or anything like that. You have to be really, really uh, professional and you have to be really together. But when, you know, I was in a band, man, I was gigging, I was drive, driving from, you know, Casper, Wyoming, all the way down the Rockies to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and, uh, and working construction uh, to make money. And those two things, you know, I, I, I had to squeak out that little bit of slack in order for me to answer the phone calls, go out on, on you know, site visits uh, to ranches and locations where, where events were being reported. And because we had such a wave of activity going on, I mean, I just, I licked the tip of the iceberg. I, I so many reports, hundreds and hundreds of reports went by that I did not have the time as a single human being to cover and work construction and play in a band and log all this material, which eventually ended up be, being my first two books, Mysterious Valley, Enter the Valley. And uh, so, you know, I, I admit, you know, when there were times when I would, you know, do the diet pills and, and you know, maybe a couple of lines of really <laughs> bad blow and, you know, some ski town or something yeah to get my ass back home um there were a number of times where i would pull over you know with <laughs> all my gear at three thirty four in the morning and then wake up with a start and almost have a heart attack thinking i was still driving when i'd actually pulled over to sleep for a while so that i could get my ass back home i put three hundred thousand miles on my truck in six years okay uh, That's a lot. Yeah, let that sink in. Not if let that sink in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but he wasn't holding anything but ass. So, so, <laughs> so what you're telling us, Christopher, is you, you you had this passion for the paranormal, but you love playing in a band, 
and you had to work construction in order to pay the bills. No, and I had I had the, the band was the only way I made. You didn't want to sacrifice those things, so you no, did what you no, had to no, do. No, 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 no. Wait a minute, wait a minute. The band was the only way I made money in the winter. Oh, okay, because oh, you couldn't okay. work construction during the winter. Right, exactly. Who's going to work at 20 Below? You know, I, I was uh, hanging my ass out on the line, you know, going up and playing Leadville at 10,000 feet and, you know, booking that for the week of Christmas. I mean, we we went through three blizzards on three freaking mountain passes, you know, at the top of America, uh, you know, just to do two gigs. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, I mean, I I was younger then, you know. I was yeah. The uh, roads up there was wild in the winter are are almost impassable, aren't they? No, they got great plow crews man, in I'm Park County. To go right over the guardrail, yeah. five thousand feet no. drop. No, it's it. You know, it's it, it comes with the territory. That that's why I really love Colorado, and I wish my lungs were better. I'd be there right now. So so what were you? Uh, what were you investigating back then? If you want to tell the listeners, like what it was that you were. Uh... Any, anything that did not, uh, you know, that was uh, strange. Uh, it didn't make sense. Uh, aberrant social behavior, weird weather, out, you know, uh, anomalous weather uh, events, uh, weird crime, occult crime. Um, strange synchronistic events that would tie all those things together, and then there'd be UFO sightings all over. Uh, Bigfoot would show up. Um, weird elementals, uh, the fey uh, diminutive um, beings. Um, it was a kaleidoscope of activity that occurred, and I meticulously documented all my research and all my uh, investigative work. And I had, you know, some pretty high-powered people helping me, and, you know, I got involved in, in uh, documenting what I consider to be, personally, uh, probably the, 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 the most well-documented and most intense documented wave of anomalous activity in North American history. Uh, I can't I can't think of anybody else that has a database that looks at only six years, especially the six years between 1993 and 1999. We had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of reports uh, of all different kinds, uh, cryptozoological, uh, weird, obviously UFO reports, uh, a couple hundred cattle mutilations. Um, you could just go down the line. Weird haunted site uh, events that happened, aberrant social behavior. Um, you now know, weird weather events. Is, so the interesting thing is, standalone, all those things in and of themselves, pretty cool. But did you start to find that there was a nexus? That connected absolutely. Because you talk about great. synchronicity, so I, I'm great I'm question. Dying to yes. hear how all this stuff. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it was obvious to me once I got the network of sources established. You know, your local newspaper editors and reporters, law enforcement, sheriffs, deputies, dispatchers. Um, at, at, at police stations and and sheriffs departments. Um, you know. Well, 
uh, position ranchers, you know, who were, you know, had stature in their community um, and farmers. Um, farmers, not so much. They were more conservative. But the ranching community, you know, when they started losing their cattle, they became some of my best sources of, um, of information and of, you know, event data. It, 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 you have to be able to be in a place where people trust you because you have, number one, a local phone number, number two, a reputation of not, you know, violating requests for anonymity. And when people want people to know who, uh, you know, was reporting this, you would credit your sources. You know, I had whenever a rancher you know, had military helicopters associated with, uh, you know, a mutilation case on his ranch or, or neighboring ranchers. Um, they, they, they tended to come out and, and be patriotic and say, hey, what, what, what's going on? Why am I or my neighbors being victimized by my government? You know, uh, the assumption being that the, assumption the, heli- that the, that the helicopters were mutilating the cattle. Right, because they were seen in conjunction with the, you know, maybe not right during the mutilation, but the day before, the day after, sometimes the same night. Um, you know, if people wanted me to, you know, give them the uh, the credit to, you know, take the mic and 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 say their piece, you're you're darn right, you know. So credit your sources honor all requests for anonymity and make sure you have a, a, a well briefed uh, network of sources, people that understand what you're looking for and what, what you don't want to see or hear in terms of their report. Uh, you know, I, I, I need these things. Boom, 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 boom. You know, uh, depending on the type of event. These people were briefed. Uh, many of them were trained observers, a lot of ex-military, especially law enforcement. They're, you know, um, these people would call me. I had one guy that would would send me, you know, typed out military intelligence style reports of stuff that he was witnessing, which, I mean, I didn't have to do a thing. You know, it's like, wow, you know, I learned a few things, actually. Um you know, and then you you really important. I um, Dr. Lynn Weldon, who was the uh, the head of the sociology department at Adams State University, was really instrumental early on in training me and teaching me and coaching me on how to properly interview people, how to properly document in, information. What information? What what facts are you looking at? You know, why do you want those facts? Um, how 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 do you set them up into a database that then you could go back and analyze? Um, you know, these. Yeah, this that, was with a, that amount of data. That's that would be the key right there. Well, I have the largest database of unusual events that have ten points of data. Um, I, I I think maybe maybe Jenny Randall's has a few more from from the um, you know Southern Colorado Basin and and uh, you know this uh, San Fernando Valley maybe she's she's probably got about the same as me at least a thousand events but you know if I if I logged every story that Grandma told the family or you know things with no date no time. 
Um, not really sure exactly where it happened. You know, all that stuff got thrown out. The only thing that got saved into the database, you know, had all those, you know, 10 points of, of data ticked off. And uh, um, I, I really, but, you know, I'm, I'm not a scientist by any stretch, but I, I paid attention during my science classes, you know, and how to, you know, properly enact the uh, scientific method. I have some incredible mentors uh, who have helped me through the years. I'm very fortunate. Um, but you, you can't go into this as a debutante weekend warrior. Um, it it doesn't work. I don't care if it's if it's going into haunted sites, um, if it's uh, doing crypto work, if it's doing ufological work. God forbid you should be lassoed by a dead cow. Um, if you're going into if you're going in into do these types of cases, you you can't be someone who's going in there and and you know you're you're there because you want to be blown away you know you want to like whoa this is oh i can't wait to tell everybody about this next week at uh you know my my local zoom party uh i guess we're in a, a new age now uh so you know i i went into this because i i was an experiencer you know, I, I don't really want to go. We don't have enough time to go into it. But, you know, I had an experience when I was seven that proved to me that we're not alone. Um, there was no communication. I saw no craft, but I did see uh, entities. Um, it absolutely was like a, you know, <laughs> a uh, Sharpie in my mind. Uh, I, I, it's one of the most vivid memories I have. Um and I've always known that um, our reality contains other uh, residents. And um, I've just been, you know, totally fascinated by by the concept uh, since I was very, very young. And um, you know, I'm kind of bright. You know, I'm smart. I, um, you know, have a library of several thousand books. Uh, and uh, I've, I've read most of them twice or three times or four times. The good ones, five even. Uh, so you've uh, you've mentioned the fact that uh, when you had this experience, it's what got you, basically got you into it, looking yeah. at it more scientifically. <laughs> so oh, you don't God. just go oh, yeah. there and witness no. for the wow no. factor of it. You actually no. do scientific no. methods and try to prove or disprove what it is that uh, you're going to investigate at the time. As I mentioned, you mentioned you keep a database of some of the strange things that have happened. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that sounds really good. Real cool. Well, the strange things that happened that had 10 points of data. Okay, yeah. <laughs> All the other stuff, you know, I, I noted it and I wrote it down and I've, you know, got records of a lot of it, but uh, that didn't make the database. Okay. I mean, I've heard some incredible stories from really good reputable sources but they didn't know the date you know they yeah. they uh they didn't know the the time uh you know i need that i need to have you know be able to fix that event in a place in time and hopefully corroborate it you know have other witnesses obviously uh 
that's you know the the journalistic standard right. is to have two, two corroborating sources. So you know, I, I I went to college. I you know I I had 121 credits for 118 uh, credit degree and 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 never bothered to uh, do my math courses, so I didn't graduate. But um, you know, I, I I taught at Adams State University for seven years. I was a guest lecturer, so you know, I'm a pretty bright guy. Uh, I I know. Uh, to to be, for instance, just to give you an example, to have an understanding of the most complex of all paranormal mysteries, without question, nothing even comes close to the cattle mutilation mystery. Nothing comes close. Right. And to have an ability to have a discussion about it with myself and David Perkins and maybe one or two or three other people in the world, uh, you have to know, and I could start ticking off over a dozen scientific disciplines to have a working knowledge of all these different disciplines to even engage in a conversation about the only blood-based paranormal phenomenon that conveniently <laughs> leaves behind thousands of pounds of physical evidence. Uh, you know, that's that to me, that's a sword and a stone. That's the, uh, you know, that's, uh, um, what's the, the Excalibur, you know, uh, yeah. to me right. that right. if you can figure that out, you can figure everything else out. That's the key to figuring out the UFO phenomenon. The UFO phenomenon is the key to figure out our, our um, you know, kind of blind spot in terms of, of what is human consciousness. We still don't know what human consciousness is, and that is the ultimate, uh, to me, the ultimate riddle. That's the, the, the Gordian knot that I wish I was Alexander with my sword, that I could just cleave it you know, in two and break the knot. Uh, you know, once we figure out consciousness, uh, you know, everything else will be, uh, it, it will fall right into place. But I'll say it again. The catamutilation uh, mystery is the uh, quincunx or the, the answer uh, to what UFOs are. And UFOs, will give us our answer uh, to the nature of consciousness. Well, essentially, the, the cattle mutilation is, is, you're right, it's the, one, it's the one mystery that always leaves behind evidence, like crop circles. Exactly. You know, crop exactly. circles and cattle mutilations. Well, you have the crop circles, you have the cattle mutilation. And, you know, with the, with the cattle mutilations, you, and you, you, you know, from what I've read and and it's a very cursory understanding of it, is that you have precision cuts, you have unexplained, you know, methodology that there's no way a wild animal could have done this. And you start thinking, well, there's thousands and thousands of these things, you know. Organ removal. Or, I mean, so, yeah, I, I get it. It's, it's one of those things. You figure that out, we're going to figure probably a lot of stuff out. So one of the big topics that uh, that's out there today, it's on Amazon Prime, it's in... And things like that is the topic of Skinwalker Ranch. 
We oh guys. right, we were supposed to be talking about. <laughs> yeah, we got we, we got Skinwalker some listeners Ranch. out there that, that uh, are really interested in in Skinwalker Ranch. So. Yeah, well, and, and, yeah. And, and, <laughs> it sounds like to me you could give us five hours of uh, five hours of details, but for the casual listener out there who wants to know about uh, what the hell well, this is, okay, uh, well, well, number one, why why are you asking me this? Well, I was the very first one um, that found out about the case. Uh, from out, you know, very first investigator from outside of the Uinta Basin. In other words, prior to my hearing about the case, which would have been in uh, late June or early July 1996, when Terry Sherman and Gwen and her kids still were there, um, before the um, article that came out in the Desiree News that that exploded. In, in the realm of, you know, the paranormal. I mean, the Zach Van X article just, I mean, everybody was blown away when it happened. Uh, and that was, I think, the first week of July, 1996. Well, before the, the article was, was released, Zach called me up and introduced himself and said, hey, you know, we have a, a mutual friend. And, you know, I understand that you've been involved with a some investigative work there in Colorado um, that's, you know, very similar to this weird ranch that I'm going to, you know, publish this big extensive article about. And uh, he told me, you know, some of the things that, you know, I've now become very famous, uh, you know, the bulls in the, in the, in the, the trailer and the wolf and, you know, you know, he rattled off some real quick, thumbnail sketches and he said look i i don't know of anybody um that i can recommend this guy talk to he asked me uh you know who he should talk to for some help and he said well i you know i know about your work but uh would you be interested in helping this guy and i said <laughs> uh yeah I would, you know, even though I was only investigating cases in the San Luis Valley in Colorado. I had my perfect Petri dish. I was not I was going to just focus on that. And this is the only case that drew me outside of the valley, um, just as an aside. So um, he said, well, uh, could you give this guy a call? So I called him up and, you know, we had a long, very involved conversation um, you know, he told me a lot of stuff. I, I wrote copious notes and, uh, he said, well, you know, I really like to talk to you more, but I got to go out and do my chores and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, you know, are you going to be around this weekend? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, I'm on my way. So <laughs> got in the old truck uh, with my friend Art and my brother, Brendan and, and, uh, the faithful, uh, canine investigator Cato the Pyrenees and probably the hottest day of the year. We drove up there. It's 104, 105 in the shade all day. I spent the entire afternoon just, just sitting and listening to Terry thinking, wow, I can't, I can't wait to have a relationship with this guy, investigate this case, you know, figure out a way to get, you know, some equipment on the ground. Um, he he blew me away, and I have a I have a technique that I use. Uh, you know, if it's a big case, 
I normally don't have any visible recording equipment. You know, I'll jot notes down, but I won't record anything. And I will not ask to see evidence. I, I want them to offer to show me evidence on the very first, you know, face-to-face -face meeting. That's just how I am. Um, most people go in there and show me your videos, show me this. Well, what about this? What about that? That's not how you investigate these things. You go there, you sit very quietly, and you do a little uh, neuro-linguistic programming. You kind of mirror the witness. You, you sort of put him at ease in his situation and allow him to open up. And so that's what I did, thinking this is going to be the beginning of a, a very uh, amazing investigative process, you know, co-mutual. And uh, <laughs> two weeks later, Robert Bigelow uh, bought the place. Um, I actually gave Terry uh, Bigelow's number, also the number for Lawrence uh, Rockefeller, because he had asked me, you know, I need to have some people come in here and study what's going on here. But they got to pay me, you know, uh, so that I can get my investment back out of it. And he, he was asking less, if I remember, less than what he paid to get in there. He just wanted to get the fuck out. He um, his he was in fear uh, for his family's safety. Um, I, I totally did not get any hint of subterfuge or lying or, or hoaxing or anything like that. It was a pristine investigative environment. Uh, I saw, you know, readily apparent physical evidence of, uh, to back up his claims of objects landing out in his field, shearing off the tops of his cottonwood trees. I, you know, I saw the evidence. He says, yeah, we got these, uh, it's like a camera, you know, you know how a camera, when you open up the aperture, it has a spinning thing that opens up. He says, well, one of them things opens up in the air right out here uh, above my pasture. And it's about 40, 50 feet wide. And, and I've, I've looked through and seen a whole different reality. You know, it's been, you know, dusk and I've seen like morning or afternoon sunlight, blue sky and clouds, you know, through the aperture. And I'm, <laughs> I'm going, wow. And I said, well, when was the last time uh, this happened? He goes, well, I, you know, I don't know. The last time I saw it happen was a couple of weeks ago. And he says, usually when, when these apertures open up, these, these triangles, they're about 30, 40 feet. They come floating out and then they zip off from there. But this guy must have been a rookie, <laughs> quote unquote. He must have been a rookie because he came shooting through and he didn't stop fast enough. And he sheared off the tops of my cottonwood trees over there. And we went down there and sure enough, there were branches from the tops of his 60, 70 foot trees did a line on the ground, sheared off. I mean, like a blunt force trauma. And, uh, you know, they were they were just at the point of um, you know the, the leaves were all brown and everything but you could tell it had been a couple three weeks before uh, and then he said yeah they, they uh, the triangles they land out here he says and they're heavy he says I, I have a guy a friend of mine that 
got a uh, a guy from the oil fields to come up here, and his job is to figure out if heavy equipment uh, can be set up on on ground, and so they do these tests to find out, you know, if the ground can can take a certain amount of tonnage, and he said that he came out in these uh, 14 inch uh, diameter uh, pod marks uh, were pressed into the ground to the you know hard pan uh, that they had to have been nine tons or about the size and weight of a uh, or the weight of a um, a railroad car and so there were there were sets of these tripod markings. Um, I, I didn't see them all. Now, did this guy tell the story? Did he think it was UFOs, or did he think it was United States? He Force had no idea. Okay. <laughs> but wow. did he, he at least think it he, was landing gear for whatever kind of... Uh, he did not venture any explanations. All he did was tell me facts. He didn't. He didn't say, well, I think it must have been this. No. When he told me about the seven-foot guys in robes with big bushy beards talking in weird languages and stuff, I mean, he told me some weird stuff, wow. weird stuff that, that I, I hadn't – I haven't seen in, in, in uh, coverage of the case. Uh, you know. So I, I've been keeping certain facts you know, back. I, I, I haven't shared – Certain things that he told me on that that particular uh, that one time that I had a face to face interview with him. Now, even though Bigelow jumped in and 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 got involved two or three weeks later or a month later, I was talking to him routinely on the phone. And uh, the famous in, uh, incident that happened when the the blue balls uh, dimmed his his uh, farm lights. Uh, checked out his horse and then checked his wife out and then zipped off out into the woods and the dogs, his three dogs went chasing after it. And then the next morning he found the three grease piles. That's a pretty famous incident. I was on the phone with Terry when that happened. I wrote notes live. Like oh, I was. That's like winning the lottery right there, right? Is this. Um, well, at the time I didn't think so. I was, I was, you know, <laughs> I was concerned about, you know, I mean, you're um, the guy that is in the trenches at the very first Skinwalker Ranch stories. You're the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the proverbial no, the, Johnny uh, on the spot in the, in the uh, when this is yeah. breaking, breaking news. You're the guy. Well, in the mutes, when they found the, uh, the weird, uh, metallic objects and stuff. I, you know, I was pretty privy to to a lot of interesting stuff. The uh, um, the one thing that that I I I found out about pretty quickly. Um, I I wasn't involved, you know, the same day. But the the case of the um, the calf that got mutilated with the uh, with with Terry and Gwen right there in the field. Uh, when it happened, well, do tell. Um, well, that's again, uh, you know, the the most famous uh, cattle mutilation event in terms of of uh, elapsed time, the shortest elapsed time. Um, uh, Terry, Terry, and Gwen were out checking their um, their you know uh, newborn calves who were out with their mamas, 
And this would have been in, uh, I don't know, probably February, March. I'd, I'd have to check my notes. But but they were going out and checking on them to make sure they were okay. They, I think they were inoculating some and putting ear tags on, that sort of thing. And they, they went to this one mama and their baby, and they you know did their thing. And then they went on to the next one which is about three or 400 yards away with no obstructions on this in the same pasture. And, and they went ahead and did their thing. And, you know, some people say it was 10, 15 minutes. Other people say 20, half hour. But however long it was, within sight of the previous mama and baby, they went back. And as they were driving by, they noticed that the baby was on the ground. And it appeared to be deflated. And they went, and the thing had been eviscerated uh, and uh, was mutilated with no blood anywhere. And they uh, immediately called Bigelow, and Bigelow had a, <laughs> a microbiologist, a veterinary pathologist, and um, I forget, George Knapp, I think, was there, and there was somebody else that flew up on Bigelow's private plane, if if I remember correctly, and were there within three hours. And they did a complete examination of the site and and the animal, which is practically still warm. And uh, they found evidence of, of sharp implements and of teeth. <laughs> teeth? Holy yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's... That's that's one thing that you never hear from all the people, you know, that talk about this case. Um, there was evidence that, that totally negated every theory that you can come up with. There was evidence to uh, negate it, well, uh, which is why about that very issue, because I had I mean, and, and I'm not someone that's well versed in the Skinwalker Ranch law at all. But when you brought up the fact that there's evidence of, of teeth. Is there is there lore with Skinwalker Ranch that they're large animals with piercing yeah. red eyes, and then people have shot them? Yeah, 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 they're yeah, yeah. Unscathed, they're like some sort of spirit creature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A number of stories, including a giant like uh, dire wolf that came and tried to drag uh, one of Terry's calves uh, through the fence. Uh, through the the gate, and he walked right up to it. I mean, he was within feet of it, and 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 blasted it uh, with a, I think a, a three fifty seven, if I remember correctly. I, I hit it with several slugs, and it it didn't phase it. And then I think he his son brought out a thirty out six, and he he shot it, and according to the original. Uh, description of the the site a piece of flesh flew out of the wolf when the 357 or when the um, um, 30-06 rifle hit it and it ran off and they went chasing after it and after you know so many hundreds of yards uh you know they they lost it in uh, along the creek if i remember uh but the thing, I mean, they were within feet of it. Yeah, that's just crazy. And this thing, and, and Skinwalker Ranch, correct me if I'm wrong on this. My no, Terry, Terry, Terry didn't tell me that story, by the way. 
Uh, Terry never told me that story when I first uh, visited him. And that supposedly happened the day he moved in. He was moving his animals onto the ranch uh, when that happened. And he, he, he never mentioned that to me. And Skinwalker Ranch is only about, what, 512 acres? Yeah. It's not that big. I mean, I mean, I think that, that we think of Utah and we think this thing is, this ranch is thousands of acres. And but, but, mm-hmm. I mean, we're in Ohio. No, no. Well, no. Yeah. Well, this is different. Um, in the desert, uh, especially in a place like the Uinta Basin, uh, anytime you have flowing water, I mean, life, you know, it's like the Nile <laughs> in Egypt. You know, life springs up right around it. And, you know, there's a, there's a creek, and then you have Bottle Hollow Reservoir that's right there. And so there are areas that are kind of green belts, you know, where where you have viable grazing, um, areas where you can, you know, throw some, some uh, uh, you know, farming together and, and stuff. And, and so, you know, there's kind of ribbons all throughout the region where you have that. And um, this is one of those areas, but... The Indians have, have, for an indeterminate amount of time, have you know the the Uinta Basin Ute Indians um, have called this a taboo spot, and the tribe is not allowed to live there or go there, and so you know that that gets into a bunch of area you know an area of research that I really you know I. Ever since Bigelow bought the place, I really kind of lost my, uh, you know, uh, being the only case that I ever really looked into outside of the valley. I I lost interest. I didn't really do the kind of digging that I would normally do. Uh, but based on what other people have, have dug up, um, the area is a taboo area. And supposedly it's where the Navajo skinwalker resides at was cursing the Utes for helping the U.S. government uh, and the Army uh, subjugate the Navajo back in the 1870s and stuff. And, uh, you know, it sounds sounds great for a screenplay, but, you know, I'd like to see, you know, some sort of historical documentation of this. And I've never seen any. Uh, I've never even seen documentation that the Utes aren't supposed to go there. It's interesting. It's surrounded by the Indian Reservation, and it's owned by Anglo's, but you know, by by whites. Uh, so, I mean, that that has some. The interesting thing about it is that it's not just it's 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 not just oh, it's some ufology. Uh, maybe there's some yeah. I mean, it's just everything. I mean, you just, I mean, it, it just is one of those things. Uh-oh. I, I want to hear more much. about the guys with the big bushy beards and the robes. That's yeah. I mean, you yeah. weird. Yeah. What exactly oh, were man. they? I, you know, seven foot. Yeah. He said at minimum, they were, these were big dudes, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I don't know. And, and the weird voices that he and the family would hear that sounded like they were speaking right, right above their heads. And it was a language they couldn't, they couldn't recognize and didn't sound like any earth language that they'd ever heard. Uh, he says, I have no idea what language it was. And, uh, you know, but you have to you have to 
go back in time and and look at uh, the work of Junior Hicks, who was the regional investigator that uh, you know checked the case out early on, and also Frank Salisbury. Um, both of those guys were teachers in local high schools. Frank, I think, ended up teaching at the at the college or university. Uh, Frank wrote a book called The Great Uf- uh, Utah UFO Display, uh, which I recommend highly. Uh, Junior was his lead investigator. Uh, and they covered stuff from the late 60s all the way in through the 80s. Um, all in that, you went to Basin region where the ranch is kind of in the heart of it. And um, there's been a lot of really interesting uh, reports that have come out of there. Everything from like pristine, brand new gold coins that are found on a trail and somebody picks it up and, and when it's in their hand, it tarnishes, it, 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 it becomes kind of old. It goes from being brand new and newly struck to becoming an ancient coin just by picking it up. I mean, weird, weird stuff, but really believable because of the quality of the investigative work, quality of the witnesses. And, um, you know, obviously you have to suspend your disbelief on some of the stuff, but, you know, I know good work when I see it. And when I see science teachers and, and stuff going out and, and really putting in the kind of work that I did and, and even then some, um, you know, I appreciate that. So the great UFO, or excuse me, the great Utah UFO display by Frank Salisbury and, and Junior Hicks was uh, uh, instrumental in the book coming out. Junior, we just lost him. Uh, he was, I think, almost 100. Um, we just lost him here uh, a while back. Really sweet guy. I mean, amazing um, a friend of mine has several hours of interview footage, uh, video footage with him that, uh, you know, he, he didn't uh, grant that uh, to many people. And so. So so what was that? Did you personally witness anything unusual at the Skinwalker? At, at the ra- um, I didn't when I went up there the first time uh, to you know, meet Terry and, and, you know, I was hoping to establish, you know, a long and fruitful investigative relationship. <laughs> Biglow, you know, his non-disclosure agreement kind of after about a month of, you know, after I'd been up there in August, September, then, you know, Terry couldn't talk to me. But I went back up there in 2013 for, um, with Ty Ventura, um, Jesse Ventura's son and, and Sean Stone, Oliver Stone's son, they were doing the third season of Jesse Ventura's Conspiracy Theory. And I went up there. I, I, I helped from the very first meeting produce a segment on the Skinwalker Ranch. And uh, we did. Uh, we had pretty interesting, uh, you know, lights in the sky type stuff, but low level. Load, load to the ground and uh, uh, did not conform to any conventional uh, potential uh, conventional traffic uh, aerial or on the ground. Uh, it was uh, uh, unusual uh, according to my interpretation of the events. And we have weird uh, 
you're getting these weird broadcasts, these blipverts of mechanical voices that were coming through our radios. So that <laughs> it was kind of weird. Uh, and when I say radio, I mean, uh, you know, the radio in your car, not like walkie-talkies, but the actual radio in the car would be interrupted and these mechanical voices were coming through, which uh, I thought was noteworthy. I, w- I would say, yes, I would say so. That would, that yeah, all you have to do is look it up on, it, it's on YouTube. Just go uh, Jesse Ventura, um, Skinwalker Ranch. What? Oh, cool, man. Thank you. So, all right. So other than UFOs, cattle mutilations, giant direwolves, uh, large seven-foot bearded men, anything else that, that, that is just crazy unusual that would be in this Petri dish of paranormal? You mean there um, in Fort Duchesne? You mean at the, the ranch? Yeah, right yeah, at the, the ranch. Um, like I heard, I've read yeah. accounts of, uh, of the um, orbs. Being present there. Oh, those are nightly. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Jason, come on. Come with your good stuff. You know, oh, they, they basically, three dogs chased the orbs and became grease spots as a result of it. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. So, I mean, so let me ask you this. Skinwalker Ranch, if somebody said, hey, listen, I want to jump in my motorhome and drive out there and, 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 and try to see some of this stuff, is there uh, is there a land in which you can park and camp on within a reasonable distance if somebody wanted to do that to see if they could observe something? Or you can watch TV well, or TV show right now. Yeah, you know, I, I've always man. When, when when somebody asks me that, I kind of remind them that there's a, a certain um, technique known as a red herring. You know, it's like the magician. He wants you to look at your at, at his right hand, and the left hand is the thing doing the tricks. Um, Skinwalker Ranch, like Area 51, like, you know, I could come up with several examples, um, is like a red herring. It, it, they, they have – they put that out there, and all the, the information is there for, for people to be focusing there. And – the real stuff is going on, as far as I'm concerned, down in the bookcase uh, cliffs, uh, down around the uh, gas and oil fields, out towards Baxter Pass, which is at the um, southeastern corner of the Uinta Basin. The stuff going on at the southwestern corner of the basin, um, kind of down that triangle between the Green River and I- I-70. And uh, Sago Canyon, that area down there, uh, you know, people <laughs> often tell me, "Well, keep your eyes to the sky." And the first thing I do when I hear that is I put my ear to the ground, because if they want you to look to the right, I turn around and look to the left, and um, you know, it. To me, it's important to identify. Um, cultural trends of awareness and automatically assume the opposite. Okay, so, that's that's a little clue for any uh, aspiring investigators out there. <laughs> so what? So what do you think then? 
like who is behind some of the stuff that that may be going or you know what are they trying to hide that's going on that they're telling you to look at the sky and you get your ear you know you're going to put your ear to the ground well no i I meant that more as a cultural sort of coincidental uh you know just sort of everyday life throws you all sorts of uh you know uninterpreted signals um and when it comes to this type of work um the unintended part starts to become programmed and you start to realize that certain um, currents in the synchronistic energy flow, for lack of a better uh, you know, term, um, these currents, once you're getting closer to really finding out some cool stuff, they tend to reward you. And, and draw you forward with coincidence and with meaningful coincidence and synchronicities. It draws you forward and, and it's, it's behoo- you know, behooving to us to be able to interpret um, these flows of synchronistic and sequential events that give us um, are constantly giving us clues. And it's just a matter of being able to, you know, zero in on it. And, you know, any time that you go to a place like the Uinta Basin, the place that everybody knows about and everybody is focused on is the place that you're probably least likely to see something cool. <laughs> wow. So so what is, what is it that's going on at the other places that you were uh... – that you mentioned then? I mean, because I assume you've been investigating those places then. Not really. You know, I've, I've, I, I have, I have. Slacking off or what? What's going on? <laughs> Fuck yeah, man. Shit. I'm... <laughs> His truck broke down. It had 300,000 miles on it. <laughs> Shit, man. I'm almost 65 years old. I've been doing this for a long time, you know? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm helping the young bucks out, you know? I'm, I'm, I'm giving away my, uh, my uh, my experience and my uh, you know whatever it is that I can help people out with and you know anybody that wants to uh, you know learn from my mistakes and and from my uh, you know where I got it right just read my books or you know listen to dozens of podcasts and, and radio shows that I've been on and you know the hundred plus TV show segments I've been on. Um, and, you know, you, you'll get a good sense of where I'm coming from. I, I, I really feel that there are no experts, really. There's just people that other people call experts, and then they, they buy into it, and they buy their own uh, – into their own press releases and stuff. I'm not like that. You know, people are constantly trying to get me to – you know, claim this or claim that, and I'm like, I, I don't know, I don't know shit from Chinola. You know, I'm I'm making this up as I go. I I think I happen to ask, you know, may, maybe better quality questions. And to me, an expert is someone that asks questions that I go, Wow, <laughs> why didn't I think of that? You know, why didn't I think of asking that? Okay, that's what an expert is. It's someone who knows they don't know and comes up with creative questions. Well, I think the, the, the big thing for me is having been a trial lawyer and, you know, 
I did wrongful death cases. I did all kinds of commercial litigation. I did, uh, you know, serious criminal, you know, trials. And we would bring in experts. And, and the thing is about the expert is, is being able to ask the right questions. And, you know, the thing about your field in the field of cryptozoology or paranormal research or UFOlogy is about being able to ask the right questions. And, exactly. you know, you, you, and I think sometimes people go into this field wanting a certain result. So they tailor their questions to try to elicit a certain result instead of being objective. Right. Instead of saying, exactly. Hey, listen, you know what? I want to know, but I want to really know. I, I don't want somebody to just tell me and I just leap to conclusion. I'm not going to, I'm not going to cast dispersions on certain TV shows, but there's clearly, you watch some of these TV shows <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and the way they ask the questions and then they immediately jump to the conclusion. Well, it had to be a Bigfoot. And you're just like, well, no, come on. You know what I mean? You know, yeah. let's ask some hard questions. And, and Believe me, I know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> there you go. So uh, the, the art of cross-examination, you know, and, and, and being a trial lawyer, to be able to cross-examine someone artfully without insulting them, to, to say, okay, I know you said this is what you said, but, and then you go through some stuff to try to poke some holes in what they say. And you Yeah, it's a skill, you know, man. It's a skill. And... Uh, you're not necessarily trying to discredit someone, but if you don't ask the hard questions, then you're not really doing a service to the field and to the, the body work. Look, we all, look, I think secretly, you know, most people want to believe that there's a Bigfoot. You know, that's fun. It's, a, it's an exciting thing. But it's disingenuous to not ask the right questions and just to be presumptive. Well, well Chris, I'm, let me ask you the hard question then. All your research out there, like, what do you think is going on? Like, wh like, what do you think the cause of some of that stuff at Skinwalker Ranch is? Like, wh what do you think is really See, happening? Well, I, I think there are no simple, knee-jerk, one-size-fits-all answers for any of it. It is multifarious. It's a constellation of separate agendas, separate um, players, uh, separate methodologies, separate structures for manifestation. All these things are coming together, flinging together, and bouncing off one another. Uh, there's, no, there's no nexus that a extinct prime mortal dire wolf has any connection with exactly a spaceship that has an aperture that opens up and you can look through it. And even though yeah. it's daytime here, it's nighttime there. Those they're, exactly. they're not related. There's something about this particular piece of property that is pulling all of these things together. Well, like a magnet. Well, that, that, that brings uh, up the, the, the whole subject of, you know, rents and the fabric of reality portal areas, window areas, gateways. Um, I, you know, the, the longer I, I ponder this stuff and, and look into it, and I've actually identified an actual portal where if you sit there long enough and you monitor it, um, <laughs> you're going to see some pretty, pretty wild stuff. I've, I've taken world-famous investigators there and blown them away. Um, so I, I do have a sense that there are specific locations 
that may ebb and flow somewhat in terms of their physicality, how big, how small, you know, where they are in relation uh, long and lap. I think they're they're localized, and they may ebb and flow somewhat, but I think they're predictable. And if you, uh, you know, if you go ahead and <laughs> monitor those uh, locations, I would I would place money. I would go to Vegas and and bet on on coming up with some hard data. That's why I'm involved in the the UFO DAP project, which is the UFO data acquisition project. And even though it has the UFO acronym in it, um, this particular monitoring system, which is uh, recording magnetometers, gravitometers, accelerometers, radio frequency, uh, spectrum analyzers, you know, complete at atmospherics, uh, if plus triangulated pan tilt zoom 36 times optical um, zoom cameras uh, high def cameras uh, once you start taking the powers of observational and you know measurement uh, uh, scientific measurement uh, once you bring that into play uh, and are able you know <laughs> God is willing, able to you know collect some real data, and then replicate that data. Then uh, you know it's a whole new ballgame. You know we we go from the realm of yeah you know, wannabe yada yada yada. Okay, whatever you say, dude. And you start throwing magnetic, gravitational, optical, and radio frequency spectrum data. And plus, we have a camera that. You know, for nighttime sightings, we'll take the the light source and break it into its light spectra. There's a blaze grating which uh, divides light into its constituent parts. Uh, once you start throwing that kind of data out uh, to back up a claim of an event, and then you're able to do it again, you can write a you know a paper that could get published in Nature. So, so <laughs> you know. This is one of those things that always was burning question. The government clearly knows something's going on out there. Why doesn't the government just use its power of eminent domain, take the ranch, pay the guy the fair market value because they can, and then say, okay, you know, the United States government now owns this world. Or was Bigelow doing research on behalf of the government? No, I don't exactly. Know. Kind of no, no. Like, why does the you have to understand. Say, okay, here we go. Half the attraction, half the attraction. Uh, to this material that the government has is how it can be utilized as a tool for control. The government's job is to control everybody and everything. Okay? Uh, that's what government is. It is a agreed-upon system of control, and hopefully we can control our own uh, folks, but uh, let's go out and control everybody else on the planet, too. Um, so why create this firestorm of, of scrutiny and interest in something that you don't have control over. Why not let somebody else do it and then, you know, very uh, subtly and very cleverly maintain control over the output of, of information about it, which is 
this is exactly what's going on right now. Maintain, uh, you know, monitoring the private individuals that own the uh, place. Maybe have an agreement with them, but uh, maybe not. Uh, so you think you know? there's a guy that has an office somewhere whose job is to monitor Skin Ranker, Skinwalker Ranch? Oh, absolutely. Flow of information oh, yeah. To the government. Mm-hmm. That's a very like Orwellian type view versus a social contract. Well, well you know, we're going to consent to be governed by the government versus the government, you know, controlling us. Well, if you know anything about um, the subject of UFOs and the subject of governmental control over the information, if you've read any of the books, I've you know, I can't, I'm not like Tom DeLonge. I can't say I've read them all, so I know everything. Um, I haven't read them all, but I've read enough to know um, without much room for interpretation that, you know, and having worked with James Fox on the uh, the movie The Phenomenon and and spoken with Jacques Vallée and, and, uh, and some of the principals that are involved in the uh, in this incredible film, um, you, you get the sense that um, because the government doesn't know everything, in fact, they really don't know, well, they know way more than we do, but in, in, in the overall analysis, it's really not that much more. And, and because they do, and they still have questions, that means that they're still confused. And the government will never ever admit that they don't know or that they're confused. Okay, their job is to know. Their job is to be uh, in a place of clarity. Their job is to control the situation. Doesn't matter what it is. And uh, they will never admit that they don't. And so um, I think disclosure, if you want to use that UFO term, I think disclosure is hinged on how confused you are. We're, we're pretty confused. I mean, we have been at least for 70 years during the modern age of ufology since Kenneth Arnold, right? Uh, June 47, Mount Rainier, nine objects skimming across the lake like uh, saucers on a pond or whatever. Um, we're confused, but the government because they know so much more, they have all the gun camera footage, radar, you know, data, probably all sorts of magnetic and gravitational, and who knows what kind of exotic, uh, you know, scientific data that they've gathered. But it's obvious they don't know any more than we do. In fact, they're way more confused than we are. That's a bold statement for because I think there's there's a big segment of the population that believes that there really was a, a spacecraft that, that crashed in Roswell, hit sitting in a and, and you in, think that they figured day. out you think that they figured out how it works? No, I mean they I just don't know. They just so they just admitted in July that they have mm. spaceships. So I mean they, maybe they're hoping somebody came, will come forward and say, well, we can help you. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I think the Teach question is whether or not we've been able to reverse engineer some of that technology. No. I mean, the B, the, the B, what fifty two stealth bomber or whatever it is that, with the st- no. with the cloaking and all that stuff. No. I mean, I know we haven't reached we haven't reached the Klingons yet. No, when it comes not to be able to bird of prey to cloak. No, no stealth technology like that yet. Well, I know there's a. Uh, 
there's a whole kind of um, school of thought that would say, well, we have all those secret space program advances, but since we're so far ahead of everybody else with our conventional forces, we don't need to whip that shit up because, you know, that's our ace in the hole. You know, and I, 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 <laughs> I listen to that and I go, wait a minute. Do you think for a second that those, you know, overgrown boys with those kind of toys would be able to, you know, resist whipping that shit out? No way. It was the whole thing Sorry. the experiment, wasn't it? No, oh, it's, nah. Apples and oranges. Mm-hmm. Well, what, um, you know, before we, before we, uh, man, we could go on forever. Oh, I said this. Is, yeah. <laughs> but, uh. So I want to ask you, is it, you know, doing all this research for, I mean, 30 some years? Is that how, how long you said you've been doing it? 30, 40 years? What's the well, one? I've been reading the books for 50. Okay. So what's the one mystery that you would love to either solve yourself or see solved before uh, you run out of time? Other than the cattle mutilation. Yeah. You, and, 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 Stream of consciousness. Yes. Yeah. What's the one other like cryptid or mysterious thing that uh, that you've run across or researched? I, you know, I, I've never really thought about that. I I, I don't have you know it, some sort of top ten list or anything like that. Uh, I think the thing that that intellectually excites me the most because of the implications of how important. Particular answers uh, would overlay into other subjects, and of course, that is the cattle uh, mutilation question. Um, the other thing is, um, I think life after death. Uh, I think our most likely breakthrough uh, in the paranormal will somehow occur in conjunction with a a notorious uh, haunted site. I think that the fact that these places are location-specific, you know, not like UFOs where you have to always be chasing around hoping you're in the right place. I mean, there's I, I have been to some of the most haunted sites in North America, and I went into it as a cameraman, as a audio guy, as a keeper of the evidence to, you know, ed, you know maintain the evidence chain. And I was like, oh, I can't believe you guys are, like, into this. And, you know, a year and a half later, uh, <laughs> I was, I was, you know, blown away. And I'm, you know, looking at you know, analyzing EVPs and, and um, you know, some of the, the atmospheric data and other things going, you know, there's no way you can explain this. So I think location-specific haunted sites offer what may be the quickest way to get to the next level of understanding with the paranormal. Um, that being said, um, that's my runner-up. Of course, my my big one is uh, UFODAP and having hard data monitoring nodes set up in a um, coordinated network around the planet. We've already got uh, a half a dozen systems um, up. And I think that the cumulative effect of monitoring hotspot areas 
with scientific instruments and then being able to effectively analyze that data, uh, it's going to prove very, very, uh, I think, productive. And to me, hard data monitoring uh, will allow the data to overwhelm the mystery. And and that, that, you know, if I've helped in any way, shape, or form, it's trying to synthesize consciousness with um, with phenomena, um, you know, paranormal stuff, and then the cattle stuff, uh, recognizing the importance, and then UFO DAP. You know, I say I'm not a ufologist, but if I was, I would do a thing like UFO DAP. When when is that? Like the information that you guys have been collecting from that. Like when are, when is that going to be? Um, something that is going to be released or you're going to share or anything like that? Well, it's a, um, you know, it's a cooperative effort. Um, I have some UFO data people who are going to be our analytical arm. Um, You know, they're PhD professors at Ohio State and Northwestern and you know, I, I'm going to let the experts decide what to publish and when to publish. I'll, you know, have my input, of course. But um, these people are, you know, educated to and trained to do this type of thing. And I, I really don't have uh, – I, I don't really want to have anything to do with that uh, in terms of the minutia of publishing. I've – you know, it's just uh, – I'm having too much fun doing other shit. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, so speaking you know, of that, I, I'm working on a TV show right now. So, I, oh, you know, man. I got a, yeah, I got a, I got a whole development process going on with, with the media. I've, I finally, you know, I've turned down a couple, three attempts to do a TV show, uh, and, you know, I, I, I found the right fit with the right kind of attitude and. You know, I've I've made some stipulations that you know um, it can't be done a certain way. It's got to be done this way, and so far they're making all the right noises. So, well, that's all, that'll be something we can uh, obviously yeah. look forward to. But oh, yeah. and I want to give you a chance to promote kind of you know you're talking about you're having too much fun doing other stuff. Get, give the audience a little uh, a little uh, taste of what. Is coming out well tomorrow as we're recording this. It'll be a couple, you know, it'll be already yeah. out well, by the time this is played. But yeah, actually on uh, on tomorrow, uh, which would be Thursday the seventeenth, um, I have a a corroboration um, coming out on the first and only solo album by Kevin Godley, the famous video producer. Um, who was drummer for 10CC for years and art school guy. Uh, he's 75 and he figured, hey, before he kicks the bucket, he wants to at least get a solo album out there. He doesn't play any instrument besides percussion. So uh, back in 2017, he said, you know, I want to do an album. He uh, put out a request for people to send him uh, grooves and uh, music, you know, without melodies and vocals and stuff. And, um, you know, out of the blue, I got a call. Hey, you know, I really like your your gloriously nasty, dirty groove, Osama bin Hayden. 
And uh, I said, wow, that's cool. And he said, well, send me everything all separated into tracks. Well, you know, out of all the SD cards of all my projects that I have, that was very one of the first ones, and I, I lost it. So I had to re-record the song in one day, everything first takes. And he um, he put down, um, you know, a really cool, <laughs> a very dystopian, uh, pessimistic uh, song called The Suicide of Angels. And uh, it's coming out uh, on the 17th on uh, Muscle Memory is the name of the album. And Kevin Godley, um, it, you know, he's the one that did all the great MTV videos, the really good ones, Michael Jackson, U2, Sting, um, Herbie Hancock, Rocket. Remember that? Oh, yeah. It was one of the, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that, yeah, that was the first one that he and Lyle Cream did. Um, I, I've been a big, a huge 10CC fan for years. And, and to get him to, you know, get in touch with me and then, you know, do some Skype calls with him and pick his brain a little bit and have some fun. It was a real, you know, I mean, that's definitely a bucket list type thing for me. And I, you know, I, he had hundreds and hundreds of submissions and, and uh, actually I'm, I'm going to be the secret track on the album. (laughs) I'm number 13. I think, you know, he, he would have put me in the original 12, but he said he couldn't come up with what he had a melody, but he couldn't go, come up with vocals. And then he finally did. And we rushed it, uh, you know, in the last week of before he had to master the album. And uh, it's coming out on, uh, well, it would have been a couple of days ago, I guess, uh, the 17th. And it's called Muscle Memory, uh, Kevin Godley. And um, and then, you know, I've got. Uh, tons of tons of cool stuff going on. Uh, you can all, always go to UFO DAP D A P, UFO D A P dot com, and find out about the uh, the monitoring um, setup and everything. I've got a, a, a kind of half-assed website, um, Our Strange Planet. I haven't added anything in a while, but it's uh, there's a lot of really cool stuff there, and uh, yeah, just you know, keep. I'm going to be on every episode pretty much of Strange Evidence, I think. Uh, they mm-hmm. planning on coming out to do a whole uh, two-day shoot. I was on quite a number of them last year. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm still doing some some uh, some media stuff and and everything, but uh, I'm trying to take it easy. I, I really I, – I burnt the candle at both ends and with a blowtorch in the middle for, you know, decades. So, so and if I if if I bought the rights to your story, <laughs> could I name it The Things We Do for Love? <laughs> how how oh, cocaine that's a song, in a pickup truck that's a, got me through the okay, paranormal. Okay. Hold on, hold on. That's the song that Kevin Godley and Law Cream uh, said that's it. We're, we quit the band. <laughs> I, I like the song. I think it's one of the well, best do it this pop way. songs. Construction ever and gigging and bigfooting yeah, and in and, and hardcore drug usage. The things you did for love. The three. The things mm-hmm. you hey, did for love. Hey, as a song, I wouldn't say a hardcore drug usage. I, I didn't talk about the psychedelics. Hey, listen, he's heard I mean, that plenty of times in the courtroom. Hey, psychedelics, plenty of times. <laughs> well, hey, we as a song, about- as a songwriter, I, I know how special it is to get 
on an album like that, especially somebody that you, you know, admire. Admire, and, yeah. and I know how tough it is to get on that, st- you know, a project like that. So to yeah, me, that's, that's, that's almost that's, this is cool. Yeah, as, it's huge. Yeah, man. it's almost as, that, especially when that's probably something you never expected to do. You know, it was three years ago, and I just said, oh, "What the hell?" You know, I'll, I'll send him a couple things, and uh, you know, to get that, you know, Mia Copa, man, it's. Hey, it's my fault. I would have gotten back to you a lot sooner, but I didn't have anything to share. I wanted to do something with it, but it's it hasn't been until now that I've come up with something. Are you interested? And uh, and he's he's a really sweet guy. He's really he's not happy with what's going on in in the world right now, and and uh, rightly so. Uh, either am I. Um, these last uh, four years have been uh, uh, I. Well, anyway, I mean, well, I, I, I gotta be honest. I, I could digress. I think it's time to call it a day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but hey, we'll we'll definitely put a link up to that song when we when we get this episode out because I want everybody a suicide to suicide of angels. Suicide. That's a great title. Uh, the song is kind of spooky. I said, well, instead of I was driving my car, how about we say I was flying my car? That that, that will make it futuristic and give people some hope. And he said, no. I, I, I said, I'm an optimist. He says, nope, I'm a pessimist. Forget it. Nope. I'm driving my car, bro. And it breaks down and all, all the angels start committing suicide. And it's like, whoa, okay. That sounds like it has sync potential in a horror movie. Maybe. Well, hey, Christopher, we appreciate you having you on. Very interesting uh, for those out there who who don't know a lot about Skinwalker Ranch. Just a crazy thing. Pick up some, and there's we could talk five hours on it. It's just one of those weird supernatural hotspots that just has no rational explanation. Short of you know, mm-hmm. indigenous yeah. people have said, "Look, don't go. There's taboo." Well, we just we we licked the tip of the uh, the Uinta Basin iceberg there, bro. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, yeah. hey, we appreciate it, and uh, stay safe there. We know you're going to get crammed with uh, more snow than I want to see. So All right. I'm getting, Go getting hit at speed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, take care, uh, guys. All right. All right. Take, take it easy. Yeah, bye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the From the Shadows podcast. Until next time, never shy away from the darkness or what may be lurking in the shadows. We are out. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.